Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paul Hawksby. And Andy Jacobs. And this is the H&J Daily, some of the best bits of this afternoon's show. Yes, uh, my last rent on Chelsea for a while, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, who knows who will be the manager when you return? It could be Jose again, could be Zidane. It could be JT. Sorry, could have turned it round. Yeah, it could be... Uh, Sorry, could have turned it round. You never know. It might be... It might be, it might be you know, you think of all the great managers. Today, I'm going to go put it in the mixer. Well, you think... Uh, <laughs> it's his new tactics. There's been moments in football history. Sir Alex Ferguson, Howard Kendall, great managers went on to great things. Suddenly turned it round. <laughs> In an instant. Uh, five, okay. five nil against Spurs. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll see. Um, but anyway, we had the H&J Book Club, which is yeah. a fairly new feature. We brought you last week with Luke Moore mm. uh, from the Football Ramble and the warm-up. And he was back today looking at, uh, as he was then, he wasn't even a knight. He was just plain old Alex Ferguson, CBE. Um, it took us up to two, the year 2000, managing yeah, my life. Good chat. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, looking at his career to, to that stage, of course. A book written with the late, great Hugh McIlvanny. And uh, I got through a bit more out of that. Yeah, stuff. and he dumped quite a lot of um, <laughs> his kind of journalistic equivalent Detritus. of aviation fuel. <laughs> yeah, Just got God. rid of everything he did. Dumped a lot on us. So uh, you'll hear that, and here it all is. <laughs> Going to kick us off this afternoon. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, Andy. Yeah, yeah. good afternoon. Oh, Andy. sorry. Good afternoon, Paul. I beg your pardon. I thought you were oh, going. To, oh, I thought you were going to say something about to off me. His game. Well, so anyway, <laughs> I've been doing that for about eighteen years. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, Andy. Oh, yes, I count. Yeah. I, I can count There's on you not to pick of, it up. It's a faint whiff of Ombre Soler in this studio. <laughs> uh, the producer says you haven't given the timeout. Okay, seven minutes past one. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, start. I know. Blind. You've gone already with him. Enough of a pair of you. So that'd be good. I should take John on holiday with me. You have just been sellotaping an Adelaide Crows baseball cap to your head. I don't know why. Why have you been doing that? Well, it's uh, because we're why, moving. Why offices. the sellotape? It's not sellotape. I was just sellotaping it to my head. I'm oh, just okay. Adjusting. Oh, it. oh, it was the Velcro. Okay. Yeah. Right, fair enough. Um, because I'm because we're moving offices in about uh, while I'm away. Actually, yeah, I won't yeah. be here for the first studio shows from okay. the new place, which is a bit upsetting for me. Zidane's first great game. For, great for the listeners, but not for me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I thought I'll take. Anything I need with me, I need to take with me so I can take to the new studio. And mm. uh, when we got uh, taken over um, by, um, I can say by News, News, yeah, News yeah. UK, um, Ali Ross told me that the big boss doesn't particularly like sport except for Australian rules football. I'm okay. And he loves this one particular team. Yeah. And so I thought, 
well, you never know. You might come in and see us. <laughs> You're such an arch crawler. <laughs> so, I, so I got on the website to the. Is this the South Australian? What is it? What, it's the Adelaide Crows. The Adelaide Crows. I don't even know what team it was. That's <laughs> not going to win him over, is it? <laughs> of course it isn't. The Adelaide Crows. Yeah. I went on the Adelaide Crows website. Yeah. I bought the cap because it's got to come from Australia. So that costs as much as the cap. So I bought it. Of course, he's never been in, so I've just had it in the... So how much did that cost you, you reckon? About 50 quid. (laughs) A a 50 quid... A 50 quid... uh, It's quite nice, though. I'll I'll wear it. Yeah, good, okay, nice. (laughs) And there's a picture going to go on the website later on. I saw this eaten in the Chelsea time, but very quickly... Uh, in a kind of, you're in a cowboy. Quite happy, hat. don't worry. It's a kind of cowboy hat, isn't it? I thought it was George Galloway's. It's lying in the office. No one's really claimed yeah. who owns it. It's a kind of, it's. It, I, I tell you, it might be. It might be James Wales. You reckon it's James? Could be. It looks more George Galloway to me. But okay, well you knows? put it on, and um, mm. we'll see what the listeners make of that. But we just maybe someone's going to claim it in the office. No one seems keen at the moment. Yeah. So anyway, Chelsea. Um, do you want to fill us in on this before well, we arrive at the new management? <laughs> idea <laughs> I'm, I'm fascinated how after every game that Chelsea don't play well in or lose which is quite often lately <clears throat> the uh, the pundits will say the other manager be it Solskjaer or Pep or whoever it is oh he's, he's really sussed out how to play against Chelsea you think oh, really, it's not that difficult is it it's really really easy to stop Chelsea as you can see and for half an hour it wasn't a bad game was it but that no, was good as soon as the goal goes in Chelsea like a relegation team they've got no confidence so they just collapse and they know uh, that the manager will do nothing to change it yeah so when you're you know if you're playing for a manager that's very proactive if you do go down you think well our manager he'll, he'll put two up front he'll, he'll go to three at the back he'll do something he'll go get the ball forward quicker but this bloke just keeps doing the same thing all the time it's the Einstein yeah. theory of you know insanity it is you know doing the same thing and expecting something different to happen it's never going to be different if City score in the first five minutes on Sunday, it could be eight. I mean, it could the, be. The Zappa Costa um, tr- um, substitution felt like a, a kind of up yours, didn't it? It was like a wind-up. I wind don't up. know. I've, I've no idea. I don't know what he's doing. I mean, it's quite hard to speak about this fellow on air without swearing or being <laughs> abusive because he is absolutely, in my view, hopeless. I'd, I was saying to Michael Grail that any other manager in the universe, and I'm talking about any level, be it Old Meads, be it uh, Torquay, be it Poch, be it anybody came into Chelsea, the first thing they would do yeah. is put Kante back in his proper position. Hmm. The first thing. He must be the only person that can see. I, I mean, why keep picking Alonso? I mean, Alonso is a decent player. You know, he's a Spanish international. But as all players do, he's struggling. He's really? having a terrible season, whether he's carrying an injury or he's got some other thing. Who knows with footballers? They're not robots and they get affected. Yeah. So you don't pick them. You take them out the firing. They don't keep picking him. And then, and then every game he gives away two goals and they go... Oh, yeah, that's right. It's Alonso's fault. Yeah. You know, why, Emerson's done perfectly all right. Why would you keep picking Alonso? It's just hopeless. Louise, everybody knows in the universe, Louise can't play in a back four. He's no good in a back four. You know, it's not good enough. You've got Christensen there, who's a brilliant defender. But he likes Louise because he can play a 70-yard holiday. Holly, holiday ball. Holiday. I am See, on holiday. Blimey, yeah. <laughs> Hollywood ball. I said faints... Uh, with oh, yeah. Andre, uh, Andre I mean, Soler. I, knew, I said to you yesterday, he's going to pick that. I, I can predict him. I said he's going to pick that really negative three holding midfielder, midfielder. And that's what he I did. I did think that when I saw the team, he did exactly he that. He did exactly that. No Christensen, no Hudson Adoy, no Loftus Cheek, no Ampidu. And I mean, even Reese James at Wigan would have been would have been useful for Chelsea. Like the substitutions by numbers as well. Uh, is that, that must be driving you mad. Oh, yeah. It's, it's pathetic. I mean, you know. You can't work out what the bloke's thinking, really. But. So we've got a theory. Uh, yeah. Chelsea do have a very, very good manager. 
uh, somebody manages people very well, very highly thought of. Yeah. In their midst. I rate her. Emma Hayes. Emma Hayes. I would do a job swap. I'd say to Sari, look, I tell you what, Emma's going to take the team. That's not fair on the women's team, is it? Well, I think, you know, they, they, it could be good. They could benefit from Sari, but I had the but idea. he has got a see If he does move to the yeah. women's team at Chelsea, he has a secret weapon, doesn't he? He has. He's got this woman that he's planning on playing. She's called Georgina. Georgina, yeah. She's lovely. A very good player uh, in Italy. Uh, but it, whoever's, sitting, has to go through whoever's sitting in front of the back four at the moment <laughs> in the women's team has got to get used to being moved further up on the right-hand side. That's about so it. Georgina <laughs> can play in that defensive yeah. midfield pivot and, role. Yeah? And, of course, he's got to find two women that he can actually swap, like Kovacic yeah. and Barkley. He'll find two of those, and they'll be fine. I think it'll work really well. Would Emma Hayes do a worse job? No, she wouldn't. She'd she do, wouldn't. She'd, she'd do, do a better good. job. I think, I think anybody would do a better job. My son spotted JT, as you all may have done, in the stadium last night. And mm. he texted me and said, oh, I hope he's there to take over as interim manager. We're going, yeah, I really hope that's true. Um, so I, I expected to wake up this morning and hear that had happened. Did you hear the uh, sort of um, expletive sorry ball chant? Was it, did you hear that last night? I couldn't, actually. I watched the whole game. I couldn't hear it, but I'm not surprised. I mean, you know... I'm, have the, crowd have, the crowd have turned, haven't they? they turn. They turn one month ago. Quicker than ever? Would you say, well, on a manager? I don't think, you know, the thing is, uh, with the last manager, they only turned after a long time. I mean, it, and he made them turn by his fight with the club. But, you know, look, it all started, it doesn't just start with Sarri. What about people it, like Scolari then when they turned on Scolari? Was, oh, yeah. was that similar? Similar, yeah. yeah. Similar with AVB. But, you know, they were had higher standards in those days. Mm. I, I Look... You, you know, it all starts without a director of football. You have yeah. to have somebody there who knows football, who can do the deals that, you know, isn't beholden. I'm not saying she is, but isn't beholden to one agent, you know, has a spread of agents and basically, you know, knows football, knows the game mm. and, and, you know, and builds a team and maybe sell a player to build a player. Like, look at the way Liverpool run that club. I mean, they're making it. It's brilliant what they've done there. Yeah. It's absolutely spot on. They've basically shuffled the pack. They've got the players the manager wants, which they should have done with Conte. You know, I mean, buying a goalkeeper for 71 million, I think Kepa's a decent keeper mm. and he could be a keeper for a long time. But he's not, he's young and he's inexperienced and he does have rickets in him, like a lot of them. But he's not 71 million quid. Is he so much better than Neil Etheridge of Cardiff? Really? Yeah. Really, honestly, for 70, I'd have spent 70 million on a left back, mm. like Conte wanted, like Sandro. You know, or a striker. You know, they don't spend seventy million on a goalie when, when you've got other priorities. You know, they could have gone for a for a you know a Schmeichel or something like that. There were other keepers they could have tried. You know, that was just mad, absolutely mad. I'm sure in the long term it'll be a decent signing, but when you look at the team's needs now, it wasn't the right thing. When to you know. get back from your uh, epic trip, will uh, will he still be the manager? You think? No, you don't think no. so. It's happened a lot when I, I often go away this time of the year and I'd say AVB, Scolari. Yeah. yeah they probably wait till you're away. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, there we are. Uh, we can return to that later on, uh, but definitely give the job to Emma Hayes. That's what we're saying. She'll do a better job. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talk Sport. Hawksby and Jacobs Book Club on Talk Sport. Good afternoon, Hawksby and Jacobs. It kicked off last week. Uh, when we looked at the Damned United and uh, every Tuesday around this time, Luke Moore from the Football Ramble and uh, the warm-up here on TalkSport will join us and uh, we'll take a look at uh, a football book. Sometimes it'll be a bit of a genre. Sometimes um, it will be just one particular book and we'll be looking at new books as well and taking your suggestions uh, and your comments uh, if you've uh, read the book we're discussing. Um, Sir Alex Ferguson, post-career, uh, 
wrote quite a lot of books. That's the, I think there's Leading, of course, which was the, the book, it's kind of business book. And there was a, a follow-up to his autobiography. But uh, back at the end of, uh, just before the noughties, he wrote uh, Managing My Life uh, with uh, the, the late, great Hugh McIlvanny. And we thought it was very timely, really. We should chat about that. Good afternoon, Luke. Good afternoon to you both. That jazz music's great, isn't it? It yeah, is. A bit of Oscar Peterson. Yeah, I yeah. love that. Now, um, yeah, it, it's, it's an incredible story, this, really, because uh, the process they used, it wasn't, I mean, he, he's known Hugh McIlvanny, he's known him for a very long time at this stage. Yeah. And they could have just sat around over a kind of glass of wine and, and picked over the bones of his career, but it was a bit more forensic than that, wasn't I it? I think it was several glasses of wine. In the end. <laughs> I, I think I that probably went on. Yeah, I yeah. imagine. Yeah, so I, mean, I think the, the great Hugh McIlvany, as, you, as you've mentioned, passed away sadly recently. He worked at national newspapers from 1962 to 2016, Observer, Sunday Times, all that stuff, just in case people weren't fully aware. Mm. And, and Sir Alex talks about him in, in, in very glowing terms, as you'd expect, and the acknowledgements of this book talks about him as the, as the greatest of the sports writers. And he actually goes above and beyond in terms of his how much he lords him. Says I he was the only sports writer I would speak to like I'd speak to another manager because he understood the game that well. Mm. Um, and then they 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 set, Ferguson wanted to write write a book about his life so far, and they set about doing that in 1998. And he and he and he ended up getting down 250 thousand words in his own terms, in, in quite a sort of unstructured fashion which he then got his secretary to type up and which he would write effectively in longhand wouldn't he wouldn't yeah, yeah yeah he said yeah. he'd write it pen and paper anything he could remember <clears> about <throat> any game any <clears throat> team any player anything he'd done and he would just, and, and 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 McIlvany's job was to be editor confidant co-writer uh, in in McIlvany's words um machine gun it into shape and they ended up with about 180,000 words uh and 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 the interesting thing well there's there's several interesting things about it but just on this particular subject they didn't know that ferguson and the united were going to win the treble in 99 which mm. is when the book ends they started it in 98 and they had no ending plan for it and then what happened happened and that seemed like a perfect way to bookend it um so so that's how it came about and that's how it ended um i, I think ferguson part of the reason if we're being completely honest ferguson lords McIlvanny is because around 89-90 when Ferguson was in a lot of trouble at Man United and under a lot of pressure he opened up to McIlvanny and gave him a lot of his time and McIlvanny portrayed him in an entirely fair balanced way and, and shed a lot of light on the stuff that Ferguson was doing behind the scenes at United sort of trying to revamp the youth academy get rid of the drinking culture professionalize everything and this is really a hallmark of everything Ferguson's done throughout his career as a manager now of course the danger is when we do this type of stuff talking in in the terms of an autobiography very different to what we did last week with the damn united by david peace because it's essentially we're just talking about a man's career and a man's life here mm. because that's obviously what an autobiography is but something that does come across in this book is the the things that are really important to Ferguson his upbringing his what he would describe as his socialist um yeah, politics politics his, yeah. his, his 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 values for life <clears throat> if, if you will mm. and also just his honesty and and you know i think with uh, the autobiography of a, a of a well-known person if you're not careful it can go down that Alan Partridge kind of route. Oh, <laughs> needless to say, I had the last laugh. And not, <laughs> a, a settling of old scores. Now, I'm not suggesting for one minute that Ferguson doesn't settle a lot of scores. There are a lot of scores to be settled. He does yeah. do that in this book, but he does it in quite an honest way. And I think he's he comes across as someone who's funny, who is honest, who is very aware of his own shortcomings, and he's also very aware of the people he owes his success to. His father, um, the great Jock Steen, all the great Scottish managers that came along before him. I think he's very aware of his place in that and how much he owes to those people 
um, for, for what he's able to achieve. Yeah, I often find that it must be the difficult thing. If you're writing someone's autobiography, you've got to kind of capture their voice. Yes. And, you know, Hugh McElvenny has got a, a certain style. I think you could probably read a passage and not know he'd written it and think, oh, that's, a that's, Hugh him. Mac- that's, yeah. that's him. You could probably do that every week in the Sunday Times until yeah. very recently. So it, I think he has. Like, when you read the book, it, it kind of feels that, it's, it's a blending. It's yeah, yeah. It's a bit. You know. It's it's not. It's not McIlvany interpreting the words. He's tried to capture the. We talked to Tom Watt about this. Tom Watt wrote mm. a uh, an autobiography of wrote a book with David Beckham. Yeah. And I said that must have been quite difficult to do. You must have really had to kind of set out mm. to get that voice because you know if you're reading the book you're thinking David Beckham wouldn't use that word. He mm. wouldn't talk like I've heard I him speak. That, yeah. You have to kind of get that right. It's quite yeah. a difficult balance, I'm sure, for anybody well, who's writing. Well, I think because they were both Scotsmen of a certain age, I know McAvenny was, was a touch older, <laughs> but they, they came from... Ferguson talks quite a lot in the acknowledgements and in the book itself about the idea that, that they... he he And he does include McAvenny in this. Steen, Busby, Shankly, Ferguson, McAvenny. They either come from mining towns in Scotland or shipbuilding towns in Scotland, and they are of the same generation. And if you if you take, for example, um, Ferguson was an apprentice toolmaker when he was mm. also a young football player at Queen's Park, I believe. That's a brilliant uh, picture, isn't it, of him working in there with little kind of glasses on the end of his nose. In the shipyard, yeah. In working in the... Yeah, it's yeah. a fantastic shot of him doing a proper job while he was still a football player. So, so going back to that idea of the style of the writing, uh, Paul, the blending of how of how McIlvenny takes Ferguson's thoughts and his experiences and his and his opinions and turns them into this beautifully written, quite flowing prose that we associate with with him. It, it does it does make it a, a fine a fine piece of work and, and and probably probably the best I would say for me the definitive sporting autobiography actually wow, really? of, of, of certainly of that time yeah absolutely yeah. I mean he, you know a lot of bit I think he's the greatest manager of all time I by, agree with that by a long way uh, this ability to change and adapt. You know, and use a different uh, sort of assistant coach, and mm. and use go with youth at times, and mm. just just generally. I mean, of course, like all managers, he, he made mistakes. He'd admit that, but in yeah. general, he was fantastic. Can you rem- can you remember when um, the first one or two of his assistant managers moved on, and um, everyone was saying in the papers it'll all be opinion pieces saying, "Oh, you know, well, it's a real test of Ferguson's metal now." Mm. And then by the end of it, he'd been through about eight different assistant managers, still had the same success, mm. still won thirteen Premier League titles, you know, a couple in his cup, a couple of Champions Leagues. So clearly, he was the common denominator there. But but one other thing I like about this. You talk about his his ability to adapt, uh, Andy, and his and his and his and his style. I I quite like the way it comes across that he professionalises everything. E- even Man United, Man United. It's easy to think of Man United now, but as you guys know as well as I do, when he came in, there were there were serious flaws there. There were serious problems with their academy, with their with the culture at the club, with the lack of success for the size of the club they were. And he he applied the same principles at Man United that he applied when he first mm. took a job. Uh, um, I think it was East Stirlingshire in his first management job, 32 years old. He says in the book he was given a £2,000 transfer budget, which he thought wasn't too bad. Then he was told he didn't have a goalkeeper. <laughs> so, so yeah, and, and he went in there and he professionalised it and he moved on and he, and he moved up and up and up. And of course, that little stint he had in the mid-80s as Scotland manager because of the tragic passing of his, of his mentor, Jock Steen, that obviously stood him in good stead as well because he took the Man United job a few months after that in, um, in 86. So... There's a lot to enjoy there. There's no sparing his opinions on certain individuals either, which I think is key for an autobiography. Mm. He's very um, honest in his assessments of people like Gordon Strachan, Eric Cantona, Frank McAvenny, Alan Hansen. It, there's so much to get involved with. And, 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 and at this point when he's written it, the fire in his belly is still evident because he, he doesn't spare any 
he hasn't taken any prisoners on he Arsenal mellowed, Wenger. Didn't he didn't. He mellowed over the as years. As he got as older, you, for as sure. you would. But I remember going to the cliff to, f- to uh, film some interviews and he was fearsome. I mean, he was. You were literally, he, there was an aura about him. There's no question. I mean, it often is with somebody as powerful and famous as that. But there was yeah. about him. You, you, hmm. you, you were sort of aware of him quite, you know, you wouldn't sort of take take any liberties yeah do, do you think of, in retrospect we think of him now as being an elder statesman of the game we see him up in the crowd at Old Trafford he's normally yeah. got a smile on his face but then he was you're absolutely right he was fierce wasn't he and that oh, still yeah. comes across in this yeah. it still feels like there's a lot more to be achieved even though they've just won the treble at the end of this book you know he that you, you say he takes no prisoners in his in what he says about some people the thing is at the end of this book <clears throat> he's talking about players that he's still involved with that are t- still in yeah. his team and uh, he's not altogether particularly happy with them in some cases. And we'll uh, tell you a bit more about that when we come. I'm maybe the, that might be. The signs. <laughs> the signs <laughs> there early on. that someone yeah. could be out of the club within two or three years, possibly going to Real Madrid. <laughs> um, we're chatting about um, Alex Ferguson's then. I think he was just that Alex Ferguson, wasn't he? He hadn't got the night. That's right. This he got the CBE point, yeah. first, didn't he? I think, yeah. Yeah. And it is a time capsule, this, because, uh, you know, he talks about what they've won so far. And he, Anyway, we'll, we'll tell you more. Very, very shortly. Talks being Jacobs here on Talk Sport. Talks being Jacobs Book Club on Talk Sport. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. Luke Moore's with us in the studio. We're looking at, uh, as he was then, just plain old Alex Ferguson. Uh, his book, Managing My Life, um, which took you into the end of the 2000s. Like this season. Uh, contribution from the Reverend Phil Richards. Yeah. He says, uh, I used a bit from Sir Alex Ferguson's book in a sermon last week, a bit about how he'd never chastise a player without also giving them some hope. That was a terrible performance for a player of your ability. Yeah. I likened it to how God always encourages us. Maybe we should bring in a thought for the day. With well, that's, that's nice. And he's actually even gone and reckon, recommended another book to us. Uh, yeah, it goes back to that old um, infamous, uh, brilliant uh, audience with that Billy Connolly did when he talked mm. about thought for the day. And he said, did uh, did Jesus play for Tottenham Hotspur, <laughs> Daddy? He said, 
Well, in many ways, he did. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the Reverend Phil can bring that to me. Uh, anyway, um, we mentioned earlier on that the, the, the writing was on the wall maybe for some players as this book comes to an end. Yeah. And let me just read you this little passage. Uh, they were, uh, Manchester United just about to play uh, David O'Leary's youthful and exuberant Leeds team, he says. Uh, when uh, a far bigger story came out of it, when David Beckham failed to turn up for our training session on the Friday before the game and also failed to convince me that he had a satisfactory, satisfactory reason for being absent. The, the, ex, sorry, the explanation that young Brooklyn was unwell... Well, young Brooklyn, look at him yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. um, He's still young Brooklyn. Yeah, uh, would normally have made me totally sympathetic. Um, but, to cut a long story short, he'd seen Victoria out at a London fashion show and felt uh, that that was unfair on the other teammates. And he says um, he wouldn't accept uh, he had done anything wrong. And he caused me to lose my temper badly, something I hadn't done for years. Oh, dear. I don't he believe says. that. Yeah. <laughs> Not at all. But he said that, you know, from time to time, somebody in my job is confronted with a situation which must be handled in a manner that signifies control. Because of all the hype that constantly surrounds David, my decision to leave him in the stands at Ellen Road became a bit of a drama. But it was quite straightforward for me. It doesn't matter to me how high a player's profile is. If he's in the wrong, he's disciplined. And David yeah. was definitely in the wrong. But despite yeah. the boot in the face and all that, if you ask David Beckham today, how much he respects Sir Alex Ferguson of and how yeah. intimidated he is by me. I've heard him talk about it. That yeah. So, you know, it, it just was one of those things that he was always, he's always been a teammate. He was never going to tolerate that kind of individual thing. No, and I, th I think it's probably vital for someone like Ferguson. And I should say, actually, elsewhere in the book, he does talk about Beckham and his work rate and how hard he is as a, tra a trainer. He, he's absolutely convinced in this, in this book that... David Beckham isn't the best striker of the ball in Britain, as he calls him at that time, mm. because of a God-given talent, but because of how hard he worked and how much he was happy to do extra training. So, so I think there are aspects of Beckham's character he absolutely admired, and I think they are still firm, uh, well, not, maybe not firm friends, but they res respect each other a great deal now. But I think this is key, and it's something that runs as a thread through the entire book, which is what you guys have alluded to there. No one's going to be bigger than Alex Ferguson at the club because he's the manager and he's the figurehead and he has to run it and he has to take into account everything that's going on. And I think perhaps maybe he was blindsided of the touch by the increase in player power we've seen throughout Ferguson's career. And it's at a ridiculous level now, as I'm sure we all agree. But mm. Beckham was very much in the vanguard of that, wasn't he? I think yeah. it was easy for Ferguson, as he's alluded to in that passage you read, Paul, where he underestimates the reaction to that. He's not convinced that um, Beckham's excuse was good enough. And I think, I don't know if you mentioned it just there, but he says the key thing is there, he's let his teammates down. Yeah. He's not, he's not, let, he's let, his t he's, he's not let me, he's let the teammates down. And I can't consider him for selection because of that, because it sets a precedent no matter who he is. Now, of course, we, we know Beckham in 2003 ended up going to Real Madrid and that was probably always on the cards and you wonder whether that would have happened anyway. But it, it is very much indicative of the way and the style that he manages. And I think that he... He, he uses that authority and that and that and those principles throughout his career and all the different clubs he's managed even when he's managing St Mirren I think it is and he's also managing a pub at the same time I imagine a few of the regulars were dealt some, <laughs> some of the same treatment there is a great bit in it actually I think it's St Mirren there's a great bit in it where he goes into training one morning with a black eye because he's had a bit of a bust up with one of the regulars in the pub or, and, and, he, and he says in, in you know you get these little photo inlays and little comments he says oh I love I love running the pub but it just you know it had to go it wasn't it wasn't conducive to running a football club at the no, same sure time yeah. yeah he loved his wine though and then of course he, he had that thing that scenario that he'd invite the other manager in yeah. often for a consoling drink. That's right, yeah, generally. consoling generally, yeah, exactly. But, uh, and I mean, and managers like Jose would come and bring very expensive bottles. Didn't we looked up that time, that Portuguese wine was about a grand a bottle. It was, was yeah, it? yeah. I mean, if you think this book ends at the point 
where I'll they keep just that and I'll open up, open up the house red and keep <laughs> yeah. that, Put that <laughs> yeah, one exactly. away. Yeah, keep that for Christmas. <laughs> They've true. just won the title, and uh, he says half a dozen Premiership titles in eight years is quite an achievement, particularly for Ryan Giggs, who uh, has all six medals and is only twenty six. He says yeah. I use Ryan as a challenge uh, to the others. Um, so it's interesting, isn't it? You think they go on after that to be what seven, about another seven? Uh, Premier League titles under him yeah, and, and another Champions League. Yeah, yeah so yeah. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? This is only this is only the story so far. So much goes on in his life, doesn't it? I mean, he he yeah. retires and then he comes. Yeah, yeah. he comes that back was again. Amazing, that. Uh, so, the, the, the bit in, towards the end where he talks about Arsene Wenger and he says in '98, of course, Arsenal won the double. And Ferguson, in his own opinion, and now I I don't know if I fully agree with this, but it's Ferguson's opinion that he heartily congratulated Wenger and Arsenal on winning the double and he, and he thought it was a great achievement yet when when United did something and, and achieved something Wenger wasn't quite as forthcoming in his praise Ooh. now of course exactly but of course their <laughs> relationships now it's mellowed now isn't it they, yeah, they, cool. they, they yeah. do quite well and, and Ferguson's and Ferguson's um, sort of relationships with other managers is, is also quite interesting uh, he's got this real interesting love-hatred love-hate relationship with Liverpool um, we know all about the famous quotes. We haven't got to go into that here. Mm. But but he talks in quite glowing terms about someone like Graham Souness, you know. But then on on another occasion, he'll say, you know what? We were playing against Wales in a, for Scotland in a, in, a, in, a, in a vital qualifier, and I asked my Scottish players who played for Liverpool, tell me how to get the best out of uh, our team so we can stop Ian Rush, and none yeah. of them apart from Graham Souness would tell me because their loyalty was to Liverpool, and he's very upset about Ooh, that. Yeah. <laughs> and and so that's what I mean. It comes back to this whole thing over and over again. This honesty of of how he sees every situation situation yeah. he puts it down the page with McIlvenny's help of course and and what what follows is just absolutely riveting it really is there's there's been books written about him I mean Paddy Bartley did football bloody hell of course from that famous quote yeah. which uh, mm. and you know that's quite warts and all it, it, it tells some stories I mean obviously you have con- when you're writing an autobiography you have control over the narrative yeah um so uh, there's been different things written over the years there's a lovely story though towards the end of the book Involving Rude Van Nistelrooy when he was at press conference was called he was going to sign for the club. Yeah, the club weren't happy with the medical. Yeah, um, and then ultimately the following day in training with PSV, he, he does his cruciate and that's him out for a year. Mm. And uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, as Alex Ferguson is then, flies to Eindhoven. He said, "I felt so sorry for him on a personal level. I was just gutted yeah. from here. The world was his at his feet one day, mm. and it wasn't enough to phone him up. He felt he had to get on a plane, mm. fly there, and say, look, you know." Let's hope you're going to come back and play at the highest level. I mean, all he knew at that point, it's not like him trying to protect a player. That guy may never have played again. And we haven't mentioned his generosity in uh, writing forward. The number of books we've done on this show over the years that forward, we've become a bit of a joke, forward by Sir Alex Ferguson. Yeah, no, it's true. And uh, Ben Thornley was in a little while ago, one of the class nights. Ben was saying he was about, he was going to write his forward for his book, but then was taken ill. And that's another thing. We keep seeing footage of him in the ground, smiling, Great to see him back at football matches, but someone I, kn- I know that knows him pretty well, has known him for a long time, said he was quite shocked when he saw him. He seemed very frail. He right. didn't, you know, because it's a huge. It was on, you know, it was a. Oh yeah. It, it was a. It was a life-threatening thing that he had. Yeah, and he's um, seventy-seven years old now. Yeah, of course. This year, and he yeah, said he was yeah. quite shocked when he'd seen him on the box, but he saw him in the flesh, and he said. It's, it's going to take him a while to get back, you know. Yeah. So I think. Well, I think I think what we see with football figures of this size is that, and especially when they're associated with one club, particularly in, in England's case, I don't want to sort of de- denigrate what he achieved in Scotland, but in England, he's obviously associated with Man United. When he retires and moves on, we've had a bit of clear blue water now, five or six years since he's retired. People. We know what football fans can be like, and they're not as willing to be a bit one-eyed about it now he's retired and he's he's seen as a more 
a more sort of um, gentle presence, isn't he? Because he's not yeah. immediately threatening to your club. I mean, yeah. we always more sort of a vunkel and yeah, was, oh, yes, yeah, yeah. when he was managing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I support Portsmouth, and I remember us getting on the end of some beatings at, on, yeah. on, on, on Ferguson United. So we all know what it's like. Yeah. But now people, I think, view him as a little bit more of an elder statesman type character. He's almost the grandfather of the game in this country now, isn't mm. he? We, we we would probably associated that in the past with Sir Bobby City Robson. fans probably wouldn't say that, but no. I, I know. Well, I'm sure they'll make themselves known. Yeah, I'm sure they'll make themselves. But just very very quickly, I wanted to get onto this. Just, just go back to what you yeah. were talking about with Ryan Giggs. Another thing that comes across is how appreciative he is of hard work and work rate and training and, and how much you have to put in to get to where you are. Now, I've spent time with ex-pros and interviewed them, and, and they'll talk till the cows come home about how hard work is the most important thing. And I think his career and the careers of a lot of the players you've played under him have been an absolute testament to that. And, and really, it doesn't get any higher praise than that if you've played under Alex Ferguson at May United and achieved all those things. And that's typified his life, I think, the way he's thrown himself in all into everything he's achieved. And, mm. and I think that's one of the things he's really keen to get across in this. And he does do so. And it's a great book. It's a great book. Uh, it's called Managing My Life. Uh, Hodder and Stout of the publishers is still available in paperback, as we said, with, with Sally Loss, Hugh McIlvaney recently. And he... Uh, ghosted it for him it is a fascinating read and a bit of a time capsule because it ends and there was so much more still to come but it's a a cracking read we do recommend it and say still available in uh, paperback and next week we're going to look we're going to move on to cycling another sport that's had so many fantastic books we'll look at different sports as we go along Uh, of course returning to football along the way Slaying the Badger is the book uh, about uh, Greg LeMond and Bernardino it's written by Richard Moore and he's going to be joining hopefully Hopefully, yeah, Yeah. to get him on the phone I've seen the 30 for 30 uh, documentary it's a brilliant story amazing story so if you've read that you can weigh in uh, next week if you've got a chance to read it before then we're going to be chatting about it and and we'd uh, love to hear from you Slaying the Badger by uh, Richard Moore Hawksby and Jacobs Book Club on Talk Sport Andy, you're off for a couple of yes, weeks and a bit. Yeah. Next time we see each other, we'll be on the eve of Cheltenham. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. So, um, everything must go. Well, you, I've got a few things. Know, you have a number things, of things yeah. you want to get rid of. That's true, but yeah. I, I don't know if I'll be able to because I've got a few things to talk about. Because I love the story this morning about the uh, the affair at the palace between uh, the, the guy that lights the Queen's fire. I didn't yeah. even know that. It's well, called... not, not metaphorically, you mean literally. That's <laughs> <laughs> very impressive at her age. <laughs> No, literally. Okay, the and Duke of Edinburgh, obviously. Okay, yeah. yeah. It's called. Yeah, he's called. The Could Queen. go to the Tower for that. I don't think you can. I don't think. I don't think they're using the Tower for those purposes. To move all those tourists out to put me in there would seem quite extreme. Yeah, I think it's a good idea. Why, Dad? Why can't we go and see the Crown Jewels? Because this bloke from Talksport said something, and, it's quite rude. and he's here. Yeah. The uh, well, but his job is it's called the Queen's Fender Smith. Did you ever heard of that job, the Fender Smith? Which one it. does she play, the Stratocaster or the Telecaster? Well, I don't <laughs> he tunes know. it up for her. Nice. Like, yeah, that's it. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. You, you used to do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I, a long time ago, yeah, I worked and for Fender. Yeah. A bit of a mad story about a woman, a Wolves fan who'd been banned for hurling a pie at a rival supporter and claimed it flew out of her mouth when she coughed and she's trying to get this ban overturned. I don't know. I wasn't it was there. a kind of pre-Heimlich yeah. thing, wasn't it? She had to... Yeah. She... she yeah, but when she was hauled before the magistrate, sales rep Josephine admitted hurling a pie, but now claims she did so only on the advice of a solicitor who supported Wolves' local rivals Aston Villa. Sounds like a murky story. I, you, can't, I can't believe that that would be the reason. But the West Ham fan was it? A West Ham fan it landed on. I think it was. Yeah, the, yeah. The fan it landed on uh, was probably under. Uh, well, it's not know, ideal, is 
Well, he, he thought this was a, a, a piece of fresh pie meat, didn't he? Now he yeah. realised it had been chewed and was coughed up, <laughs> oh, which yeah. makes it even worse. That hits you on the back of your head. particularly nice. That lands it? in the hoodie of Parker. That's not much fun, is it? Now, Andy, yes. um, do, you know, do you know the old five-second rule? Uh, with yes. food. You oh, drop yeah. something on yeah. the floor. You have to pick it up. Oh, you know, it, as long yeah, as it's not sure. into a cow pat, you work on the five-second <laughs> five rule. Five-second rule. Yeah, yeah, we all know that. Yeah. So, but on the beach in Sidmouth, uh, down in Devon, somebody found a marathon chocolate bar from 1990. So where do you stand? Oh, that's not a five-second. you stand on the near 30-year rule? Was it, uh, was it in paper? Um, it was a marathon chocolate bar wrapper. Oh, sorry, mm-hmm. wrapper, not the actual bar. Only, would you have, you know, you wouldn't have licked the wrapper. Would you? No. Thought to date from the uh, from the eighties was found on Sidmouth. How is this a story? I thought it was the chocolate bar. I've only realised it was the wrapper. Old wrapper found on beach. Talking of wrappers, I, I like this, this story about um, uh, Megan. Uh, Megan Markle, the the Duchess. Oh, you, Megan, just she's first a, name terms. She's at a, a, a baby shower thing in New York. It says the last uh, do she'll be able to attend before baby Sussex is born. <laughs> baby Sussex sounds like a female rapper to me. <laughs> they can't. I can't call the baby Sussex. That'd be no, Sussex, be, Sussex, wouldn't it? Really. Ridiculous. No. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, the Sussex fans, obviously. And uh, I do enjoy the letters of Les Holt, who uh, yeah. writes The Sun every day. And, is he Les Holt? Is he Lay Holt? You think Lay Holt. He could be is French. He French. He could be a French troop. Yeah, he could be. <laughs> but he lives in Manchester, but who knows? Yeah. He says, I'm shocked. Is he? Yes, he is. He often is. I'm shocked elegant Joanna Lumley is a smoker. Right. Where's her intelligence? Cemeteries are overloaded with smokers. I mean, you can't disagree with that. Uh, but this bit, Joanna looks gorgeous, but her breath must smell like an ashtray. Oh, it's not wow. the thing I think of when I look at Joanna Lumley. I tend not to. Well done, Les. Um, Anthony says, a fender is also a fancy fire guard. Yeah, we were aware of that, Anthony. That's yes, right. It was a doable thing. There have been brass things with leather padding on top. You are. <laughs> Uh, John said he didn't know that. I'd imagine she has a couple of fireplaces knocking around. I'm sure she does, Anthony, but yeah. thank you. I've just He's seen obviously that. in that game. It's a shame to waste this one. I've no idea how old he was, but I'll just do the gag anyway. Yeah. It was a T20 birthday spirit from about three weeks ago. Okay. Sir Sherrard Cowper Coles. Sir Sherrard Cowper Coles? Yeah. I said he's got a big family. They're all based in Newcastle. So many Coles. So many Coles. <laughs> thank you. Sherrard Cowper Coles? Yeah. That's okay. his name. I don't know. I mean, you know. No idea, but it does uh, sound a bit like Cheryl Cole, doesn't it? Maybe uh, they, yes, that's uh, very true. Actually, it does. Cheryl maybe Cowper Cole's Vecini. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's a new name. Um, <laughs> so what did he do? He, he, uh, I don't know what was he. I have no idea. Okay, I could well, look it up. But no, I mean, just don't worry. Right Andy, at the just, end of the list, he got the gag out of the way. That's really all it was there for, wasn't it? <laughs> Giant. This is the, this is on page three. Giant sea turtle Lulu marked the festive that's season. She's not. She's from Scotland. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> I don't know if the giant sea to- turtle, giant sea turtle, when it opens its mouth, it goes where? It probably doesn't. No. Lulu marked the festive season yeah. with a meal of raw sprouts. <laughs> wow, what a great story! A, this is this is everything must go. Is it all the dross you haven't got round to during the week? Yeah. yeah. And uh, what about the whelk man, John? Was that? Sorry? There's a good one in there about a whelk man. I've got to try and find it. Talk amongst yourselves. Okay, yeah. Because yeah. he looks at my notes every day. Who does? Oh, Britain's oldest working fisherman is known as the Welkman of Whitstable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's nothing else other than that. I mean, I don't even know why I wrote it down, actually. So long ago. Wow. <laughs> yes. We are really, the dregs are being scraped Where now. Where are we like this one? Oh, I found another, because I often don't do these birthday spreads. T20 birthday spread. Do you want me to guess the age or you oh, just want to do the gag? Just do the gag. Don't worry, just do the gag. Fergus, say gag. Fergus Cochrane Diet. 
I lost 10 pounds on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Are you much. spelling diet? D-Y-E-T. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. It's good, good... Uh... There was a, you see the story today, um, uh, Iranian football fans are hoping to settle down to watch the Bundesliga match between Bayern Munich and Augsburg, as they, they often do, of a weekend, because uh, Premier League football and uh, football, kind of European football, is very popular in, in Iran. Hmm. Unfortunately, oh, the referee yes, what a story. was uh, Bibiana Steinhaus, uh, one of uh, Germany's top referees. And, um, of course, strict rules in the Islamic Republic doesn't allow a display of uh, large amounts of female flesh. And it was felt that uh, Bibiana's shorts uh, would show off a bit too much flesh. So they decided not to show the game. What, are they, what about if they got a big one, like, say, Manchester United, Liverpool and something, and Sean Massey is the, is the lines, the assistant? Well, I, I, I think, you know, it's, I think it's, it's bigger than that, than the match, isn't it, really? I think well, they, I wouldn't show that, they wouldn't show that either, but uh, that's right. I mean, so it was are. the uh, Laureus Sports Awards that have come and gone again with no notice whatsoever. Yeah. And the, as uh, Roger Moore once called it, the Lifetime Achievement Award <laughs> went it? to Arsene Wenger. Yeah, well, why not? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Honestly, it's such a strange thing, the Laureus Sports Awards. Mm. It's a really massive, overblown thing that never gets that much publicity for some reason. No, that's very true. I think we'll leave it That'll do, says Andy, you can burn those notes down (laughs) in a skip as you leave (laughs) and then produce fresh ones for Cheltenham. Well, I will. Um, Yeah, we're going to bring you the... As always, the four days of uh, Cheltenham will be there. I could leave these with Luke. He could just introduce them at a random stage. He'll never It's the workings of a madman. (laughs) Don't put those notes in the hands of anybody else because, honestly, you'll you'll be locked up. (laughs) Probably. So, yeah, we're full four days of Cheltenham right here on top. Big Allen, of course, will be coming in, uh, in mm. the mornings live from Cheltenham. We'll pick up at uh, one o'clock. And, uh, we'll have Ruby every day, I hope. Yeah, right? live racing, of course, from Rupert Bell Corner. I'm all the big races and uh, all the colour, colour, colour from the festivals. You've been listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hear the guys every weekday between 1 and 4 p.m. on Talk Sport. There we are. That was this afternoon's show. Have a fantastic break. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll see you just uh, on the eve of Cheltenham. But Luke Moore's going to be with me at different points. We'll have Sam Delaney here and comedian and talking fan Charlie Baker. So a bit of a mixed bag in Andy's absence. But we'll keep bringing you the H&J Daily. uh, And thanks for downloading us. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 